tornadoes to hurricanes, blizzards, and everything in between, you're listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. Stormfront Freaks are former television meteorologist Mark Massaro, atmospheric science graduate and skyworn storm spotter Brady Harris, digital meteorologist and weather producer on the Weather Channel app Dina Knightley, former on-camera meteorologist at the Weather Channel Kim Cunningham, Emmy-winning storm chaser and photographer Chris Sanner, and I'm your announcer and Skywarn Network coordinator Mark Johnson. Now, here's the moderator of the Stormfront Freaks podcast, Skywarn storm spotter and chaser Phil Johnson. All right, so welcome to the most entertaining weather podcast on your listening and viewing device. This is the Stormfront Freaks podcast, and if you happen to be watching the video recording on YouTube or Oklahoma Weather Tracker TV, it's uh, it's Stormfront Freaks Raw. It's basically unedited. We got body slams and tag teams, all that good stuff. But if it is your first time listening, we hope you have as much fun as we do. And if you come back for more, uh, God help you if, if you are coming back. But <laughs> hey, this, this is episode 34, and our guest this week is former Hurricane Hunter and now a recon coordinator of the famed Air Force group that flies directly into these tropical storms like Hurricane Harvey. Uh, we have Warden Madden is with Yay! us today. Yay! And uh, we're also, we'll also be discussing hurricane evacuation gridlock and how prepared various cities across the U.S. are along the coast to uh, really deal with this. But don't forget to also stick around. We've got our Titan U Minute, Storm School, Weather Fools, uh, some great Weather Fools, uh, I'm sorry, Weather Resources, and, and obviously who the hell knows what else we'll come up with. If it's anything like last episode, You'll probably get five minutes of constant laughter. laughter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was brutal. All right. So, hey, I do, I do want to quick uh, highlight a couple great events that are coming up soon. Number one is the Twister Memorial for Bill Paxton. This is September 16th through the 17th. It's in Wakita, Oklahoma. It's hosted by the North Texas Storm Spotters. Uh, we've had an opportunity to talk to Jason Gentry, Jennifer Stark, and Dan Wallace from that group to kind of fill us in a little bit about the event. They're doing an artwork and photography contest. They're going to be gathering at the location of Aunt Meg's home from the movie. You know, and who doesn't love the movie? And, and that's really, they're, they're honoring Bill in, in the movie. They're going to have a storm chase vehicle parade at 4 o'clock on the 16th. Uh, the, there is a Twister the Movie Museum also is there in town. Uh, they're going to have some great raffle prizes. If you want to learn more, just jump on Facebook and search for North Texas Storm Spotters. Or uh, you can also on Facebook go to Twister the Movie Museum. Uh, either one of those, go there. You can uh, find the details on that event. The second event I want to highlight is the Indiana Storm Chaser Convention. Uh, this is coming up in November. This is November 18th. It's at Hendricks <coughs> County Convention. Who's not, who's not muting their... Uh... You know, I muted twice. I'm sorry. I muted... <laughs> You're a TV I muted, guy. I muted... And then I realized... Oh, yeah. wait, Hit the cough no, button, hey, man. Hit the hey, cough people button. People do that for him, though, right, Maz? You're not in charge of your mic, That's boy. That's right. <laughs> for you. Where's your help? Where's your help? Where's your help? All right. Anyway, so before, before I was so rudely interrupted... Uh, so November 18th, it's at the Hendricks County Convention Center, which is just west of Indianapolis. Uh, they've got some great guest speakers that are going to be talking about severe weather and target forecasting. Uh, if you're a chaser, uh, they're going to have speakers from the National Weather Service, from television, storm chasers. They're going to have uh, some Skywarn and ham radio speakers. It's basically open to all chasers and spotters, 
meteorologist. And if you're just a weather fan, uh, you can do that as well. But registration has already started, even though this is in November. And I heard from Joe and Beth that they're already at about half capacity. Uh, and they've done that in just the first few days. So don't get locked out. They have early bird registration going until August 31st. If you're a student, it's just 15 bucks. If you're not a student, it's just 20 bucks. So talk about a great day, a lot of fun uh, and very inexpensive. It, it gives you enough time if you're coming from other states in the Midwest uh, to come join us. But to find out more, go to IND for Indiana, INDChaserCon.com. Uh, one last thing, we don't want you to miss a show or be the last one to hear about it because you didn't get it right away when it was released. So just don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And we'd really love to hear from you and what it is you like about the show and, and what we can do to make it better for you. So we're going to be in the process tonight. Uh, MJ is also going to be pulling our live viewers uh, to, to kind of ask some of those same questions as well. But uh, we would love to hear more feedback from you guys. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and introduce the team. It's happy hour. Let's find out what everybody's drinking tonight. MJ's up in Minnesota running the show. What do you got for us? All right, we got her going tonight. Uh, I, last uh, last week I went uh, south of the border. I did it again tonight. I'm with uh, Tecate, is it? Tecate. 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 And it's light because I have to watch Ticate. my finger because nobody else is watching it anymore. Tecate. <laughs> that, that's very good. Um, and it's we don't, great we with don't... lime, by the way, with lime and salt, it... too. Yes. And to, it's good with a shot of tequila, I'll say and that. A shot of tequila, yeah. All right, so I've, so I've got what I'm drinking tonight, and unfortunately, Dina wasn't here because she'd probably appreciate it. Ooh. I'm drinking. Oh, this is uh, called oh, Kinky Pink. <laughs> kinky <laughs> Pink. So I'm drinking nice. a, little, a little Kinky Pink and strawberry soda. Nice. Mm. It's about half and half because this thing's only like uh, 35 proof. So okay. I'd, I'd probably sip it out of the bottle, but I am doing half and half with a – Kinky pink strawberry soda. Wow. Very manly, Phil. Very right, manly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Huh. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Maz, what do you got? Hey, I want to know, what do you think Dina is drinking right now? <laughs> oh. Harvey. Harvey juice. Yeah. Drinking some Harvey juice. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Hey, we miss you. She's coffee. Anybody. Yeah, coffee. exactly. Coffee. Hey, right. I've got my, I'm back, you know, I, I went to the fridge and I just had my Guinness draft. So I was back to it. I, and you know, it's funny as I was drinking, I was kind of like, you know, I'm not really in the mood for this one tonight. So I'm going to have to come up with something else just in case to find out what my moods are like, you know, in case I'm lighthearted <laughs> or oh, Elon, we need to get some more beer, you know, slam it, slam it. You'll be in the mood. Is that what yeah, it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, just All right. Tip it back. Mm -hmm. You'll be in the mood. Kim, it Kim's works. in Atlanta. What are you drinking? Take a guess. Uh, IPA. Yes. Light. Ding, 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 light. Ding. Yeah. <laughs> no. I'm, ba I'm back to the citradelic. I have to finish it up in the fridge. So I thought, <laughs> well, I'll just grab this. And uh, New Belgium, of course, it's the tangerine IPA. It's absolutely delicious. It's great for the summer. Very refreshing and very hoppy. So that's me. It's like garage sale night. What, uh, what I got left in the what I got in the yeah. fridge? Well, I gotta I finish it up. You, know, well, you, need, you need a shirt that says "Don't worry, be hoppy." Mm. <laughs> That's right. right. I like that. I yeah. like that. Get me one. Thank you. All right, Brady's in Columbus. Brady, what are you drinking tonight? First of all, go Bucks. One week away from opening uh, opening night, so oh, go yeah. Bucks. Uh, tonight I have a 2014 glass of Pinot. <laughs> So I'm keeping it classy, you know. Hurricane Harvey, you know. I'm trying to trying to be respectful. So keeping it. Looks like Concord grape. 
<laughs> Trust me, it's definitely not. It's, de- it's look, it's can well you, see, you, can, you can see the viscosity. It's definitely not grape juice. I see me. Wine. All right, well, let, let's, let's do this. Let's uh, let's jump to our our famed and esteemed guest tonight. I I know he's got to get to work, so. He's tipping mm-hmm. back a bottle of water, but Kim, can you uh, introduce our guest? Oh, I'd love to. Well, Warren and I go back to the 90s, so we've known each other for quite a while. And by the way, we've got quite a group of Ohio people here because Warren actually was an on-camera meteorologist in Dayton for WHIO. Mm. Uh, but currently, that's right, but currently, as you heard, he's at the National Hurricane Center. As a matter of fact, from here, he is heading to work tonight as an aerial reconnaissance coordinator. So he's on the ground, but he used to be up in the air as a hurricane hunter, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But during his years in television, he was also in the U.S. Air Force Reserve, and he also was at the Weather Channel, and that's how I know Warren, um, for 10 years. Is that right, Warren, 10 years? 10 years full-time and about seven part-time, yeah. Okay, great. And that's how I know we worked nights together. We had a blast. We had quite the evening team. Um, back in the good old days when it was really a lot of fun and you could get kind of quirky and really get geeky at the Weather Channel. All right, so then Hurricane Hunter status, this is incredible. Um, he was in, uh, he joined in 1998 uh, with the 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. He served as an aerial reconnaissance weather officer until he retired as a Lieutenant Colonel. Very cool. Sir, well, very amazing. cool. Lieutenant well. Colonel in 2012 flying over a thousand hours, including missions into some historic hurricanes. We're talking about Rita, Ivan, Wilma, Floyd, and even Typhoon Meggie. Um, Absolutely amazing. And in 2014, uh, Warren was located in Miami where he moved for the National Hurricane Center to work there, uh, but also worked at Lockheed, right? And we'll talk about that too. But received a bachelor's degree in computer science from MIT. Amazing, in 1985, a bachelor's degree in meteorology from Penn State and a master's degree in computer science from Wright State and also was commissioned as lieutenant in the United States Air Force through the Reserve Office Training Corps, ROTC, in 1985. He is way, way smarter than all of us. How are you still in school? That's like four degrees that was just listed off. That's crazy. (laughs) Warren is smart and he loves board games, (laughs) don't you? Yeah, you might say that. One of our, when we moved to Miami, we lost a lot of room for our house in Atlanta. And uh, we ended up devoting one of the bedrooms to our board game collection. I, I sucked my wife into the hobby. <laughs> wow. And at last count, we have somewhere we inventoried when we moved all down. We've got about 900 games now. Oh, oh my God. God. Yeah. Wow. And in the, in, the, in the crowd that I game with, uh, that would actually be considered on the smaller side of a medium sized collection. Wow. Jeez, that's cool. Warren, do you have Avalon? Do you have Avalon? I was wondering. I, was just, I just played I mean, that. I've got, I've got some, well, I've got a bunch of the old Avalon Hill games from mm-hmm. way back when. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, a lot of the games we have are actually uh, imports from Europe. Uh, board gaming is very popular over there. So that's uh, where I kind of, I grew up with all the standard Milton Bradley, Hasbro, Parker Brothers stuff, yeah. and then got into war games and Dungeons and Dragons, you know, standard geek. And then uh, in, in the mid-90s, discovered, I went to a, a board game convention in Columbus, it was Origins, and um, discovered this trend of European games starting to come over and just really decided I enjoyed them and sort of grew from there. Awesome. You knew Milton and Bradley? Uh, no, I'm not that old. I'm old. I'm not that old. <laughs> so, Warren, why don't you tell us, you know, some people may not know what an aerial reconnaissance coordinator is. Why don't you explain that to everyone? 
Okay, so uh, my office, uh, my boss, and my two co-workers are uh, what is called CARCA, Chief Aerial Reconnaissance Coordination, All Hurricanes. And I, lately, I always hear that farmer's insurance commercial, you know, we are CARCA, bump, 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 bump. <laughs> uh, but our job is uh, we are the people who organize all of the reconnaissance uh, for the National Hurricane Center. So every morning during storm season, I'm actually an Air Force civilian employee, but I'm working at the NOAA facility, uh, NHC. So every morning during storm season, myself or one of the other two, we go across the hall, talk to the forecasters, and we say, what are your reconnaissance needs for the day? And a lot of days they'll say, yeah, we're good. And then we'll go back and we'll just continue with our you know, training regimen because since we're the only squadrons in the world, the Air Force and the NOAA squadrons that do what we do, we're also our own schoolhouses. So you know, you, you bring in a completely qualified, say, for example, C-130 pilot, they know how to fly C-130s, but they've always been told, don't go anywhere near thunderstorms. We now have to teach them yeah. how to do that safely. And and so, you know, we're always training. That's what we're doing during the off season. And then uh, on days like today and tomorrow and past couple of days, we go out and say, what do you need? They'll say, well, we need flights and we need them at these times. And so then we come back, we talk to the squadrons, uh, get them to organize the flights. They come back with the, you know, the takeoff times, the crews, everything that they need to tell us. And then we put out what's called the plan of the day. And that's available on the National Hurricane Center site that lists all of the recon flights that will take place in the next day with an outlook to a succeeding day. And then while the flights are flying, all of their data is flowing back through our small office in the National Hurricane Center via satellite. And it's our job to look at that, quality control it, make sure that it makes sense in the scope of the overall meteorological picture, and then get that information over to the forecasters primarily, but also out to the rest of the world. So when Kim or myself or any other meteorologist on the air is talking about, you know, here's Hurricane Harvey located at this latitude, longitude, this pressure, et cetera, et cetera, odds are that data came through my office from a Hurricane Hunter aircraft in these situations. So. So when we get when we get into these situations, you know, we're in 24-hour ops. So we're three-person units. So my boss takes the day shift, you know, RHIP, and then our <laughs> other two, our other uh, myself and my coworker. Right, fortunately, we're both it. night people, so we tend to alternate. So one storm <laughs> he'll take overnights, I'll take swings, and then the next storm will switch. So this was my turn for doing overnights. So I go in about 10:30 and I work till about seven or eight. And until uh, my boss comes in and we do the handoff and, uh, you know, tonight I'm going to have a C-130 mission active. I'm going to have a P-3 Orion mission going yeah. through at about 7,000 feet. Uh, they're doing, uh, the P-3s have more advanced instrumentation because uh, they do a lot more research. And so one of the things they have is they have a tail Doppler radar. So they're going out and doing more research on how the storm structure is, what makes it tick, and they'll be out there. And then we'll also have uh, our G-4. Uh, which flies at high altitudes, about 41 to 45,000 feet, not through the storm, but around the periphery, dropping a lot of uh, instrument packages, drop sons out, so that we can get a lot more information to the computer models, because we've all seen spaghetti models, you know, where the, the, yeah. the models just go blap out in a, a massive uh, widespread. And the hope is that by, and, and not the hope, but the actual experience is by getting these G4 flights out and getting a lot more sons from data poor areas into the models, it helps converge those models. So of course, now we're very interested in where this thing will make landfall and, you know, what will happen after that because of the flood threat. So you, know, one, you mentioned, I'm sorry, you mentioned something about flying into thunderstorms. How do you do that? Yeah, seriously, that was very carefully. 
<laughs> no, um, <laughs> I know, I know. That's clear. It's right. Honestly, in the, in the in the Air Force C-130 standard manual, there is a a, a a paragraph in it says C-130 aircraft will not fly within 20, uh, 20 miles of any active thunderstorm. And then there's subparagraph A, except WC-130J aircraft on task storm missions. So a standard C-130J has a crew of three. Uh, two, uh, two pilots and a loadmaster. Uh, our base aircraft, and this is the, the WC-130J, which is, we have 10 of them based out of Keesler Air Force Base, Mississippi, the 53rd Weather Recon. And uh, they have a minimum crew of five, two pilots, a navigator, a weather officer, which is what I did, and the loadmaster who also operates the drop sound equipment. So we kept the navigator because we need somebody who can watch that radar continually when we're in the storm environment because the pilots have their hands full flying the plane. Mm -hmm. You know, the weather officer is focusing on the winds and lining up properly and getting into that exact center. The loadmaster, he's the only guy or she, we actually have a fairly large proportion of, of, of women in the squadron as well across all crew positions. And so they're the only ones who can't be strapped in all the time because they have to load the drop sons into the tube that launches out the bottom of the aircraft. There have been times we've gone negative G and people have hit the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, we've done this for, I mean, the first intentional penetration of a hurricane was done back during World War II. And uh, I got a great story on that, but probably too long for what we're trying to do here tonight. But, uh, but in any case, we, uh, we've learned over a long period of time what is safe to fly in and what we have to fly around. So when we're trying to get into the storm, the weather officer's kind of like the bombardier on an old World War II bomber, if you've ever seen those kind of movies where they're calling out course corrections to the pilots to try to line up on the winds, because we're flying with winds off the left wing, you know, trying to fly into low pressure. And so as we do that, I'll call out, you know, I'll see the winds are starting to shift. I'll say, you know, pilot left 20. The navigator's job is to look at the radar and determine whether or not that's a safe course for us to take. If he or she determines it is safe, they'll call out a new true heading and the pilot will turn to it. Otherwise, the nav might say, eh, wait a few minutes while we get past this cell and then turn to it. And then we gradually will we'll go into the eye. And in some of the big storms, we penetrate the storms at about 180 knots, roughly 200, a little over 200 miles an hour. In some of the big cat fives, the winds we're encountering the eye wall are right around 180 knots. Yeah. So we're crabbing into the wind by about 45 degrees. You know, we're flying, say, due north is the direction the plane's traveling. In the height of the eye wall, our, our nose is actually pointing northwest. And then in the space mm. of just a few minutes, as we break out of the eye wall into the eye, the winds drop off dramatically, the plane straightens out, we hit the center, we mark it, we get a sond out to get the central pressure. And then as we're flying to the external, the other eye wall, all of a sudden we're now getting winds from the right and we're cranking in the crab angle from the, to the right. So we're pointing, our nose is pointing to the right of our direction of travel. So on a typical mission, missions will last eight to 10 hours. Uh, usually about six hours or so in the storm for penetrations. You're going through eight eye walls on a typical storm. Wow. Oh, man. And how how, many, how many suns do you drop? Uh, well, typically we will drop if we're at 5,000 or higher. And mo a lot of people think, oh, we fly over the top of the storms and drop in. No way. Uh, on the weak storms, you know, tropical depression up to tropical storm force, as long as the turbulence isn't too bad, we can go in as low as 1,000 or 1,500 feet. The ocean is real close yeah. at that oh, point. Wow. But, 
you get a good look at the ocean and the wave patterns and the wind patterns. As the storm gets stronger, we're up at five or 10,000 feet. Like tonight, now that we're into hurricane status, in all likelihood, the, the planes will be flying at 10,000. And so we'll drop sons in the center so we get that exact central pressure, but we'll also, uh, at the request of the forecasters, we'll drop sons in the eye walls. And sometimes they'll want to know what's going on out. Our typical legs are about 105 nautical miles out in each direction, which usually gets you out to about the edge of the tropical storm force winds. So sometimes if they're very interested in what's going on out far, they'll, if we're up at 10,000, we'll drop a sond out by the turn point to see what the winds are doing down at the surface. Like tonight, they might request a sond out in the north, northwest quadrant to see how fast those tropical storm force winds are getting toward the Texas coast. So we have... The sons we drop for vertical sampling, we also, the plane is instrumented, and then we have an interesting instrument called the Step Frequency Microwave Radiometer, which whoa, is able whoa. to, yeah. Yeah, I know, big word, we call it the SFMR. SMFR. <laughs> yeah, or, or we, one, of, one of the people switched around and sometimes we just call it the Smurf. Uh, but it's a really interesting <laughs> piece of tech because it uses microwaves, it, it's, it's a passive antenna, but it's looking at microwaves at six different channels bouncing off the surface of the ocean. And depending upon how churned up the ocean is, through some very complicated math, it can actually spit out an estimate of surface wind speed. So it's a day-night instrument. I mean, this is a big improvement over what we used to do, because before, the only way we could estimate surface winds was using the Mark I eyeball looking down at the ocean surface. We literally had a picture book that would say, if you see these features, streaks, wave patches, foam patches, estimate these surface winds. Well. That worked great if you could A, see the surface, and B, it was daytime. Uh, the advantage of the SFMR is that it's a day-night instrument. And so it really, really helps the forecasters get a sense of what's happening at the surface with the wind speed. And it's become almost a, a you know mandatory piece of equipment. You know, If the SFMR isn't working when they step out to the plane, they're going to the spare in all likelihood because they really need that SFMR. So, you know, really interesting stuff we, we do out there. Uh, I loved the job. The only reason I retired is because I aged out. You're only allowed to go to 28 years of service as Lieutenant Colonel. I bumped into it. And so I was out of the game for a couple of years. And when the job opened up at Karka, uh, I decided I wanted back in. So I, I put in for it and was fortunate enough to get it. So let, so let me ask you this. When oh, Go ahead, Brady. You've been oh, you're fine. trying to jump in and <laughs> kind of hide well, in the corner when someone else asks. Oh yeah, well it's the it's the lighting. It's the lighting. That, that's but so Warren, give us an idea. Like you're in the plane. What you know? What can you see? You know, is the plane shaking? What what is it kind of like being in that environment? Okay. Well, um, it it does vary a little bit. I mean, the analogy I like to use is a fish in a river. If the river is flowing really fast but smoothly, fish doesn't know. Just looks down and says, "Dang, that bottom's going by real fast." Yeah. But then let the fish start getting the river start getting over some rocks, and then the fish feels it. I mean, there have been times where I've been in Cat Fives where I've gotten less turbulence than you'd get flying in a jetliner across the country wow. in winter. Because because think about it, if you're yeah. flying across the country in winter, you're likely in the jet stream, which likely in the winter has winds of 150 to 200 miles an hour. Yeah. 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 But then again, there have been times where I've been in storms that weren't even hurricanes. The worst, uh, you know, beating I took uh, was not from a hurricane. It was actually from a tropical storm that was was four days after September 11th. Uh, and this was off the coast of Florida. And it was interesting because we were supposed to fly that morning and heard about the first plane going to the first tower, saw the second plane going to the second tower on TV. And of course, they shut the airspace down. Mm -hmm. So we didn't fly that morning. 
A couple of days later, the system was growing stronger, was making an approach toward Tampa and, and that area. So they gave us a special dispensation to say, go ahead and fly. So um, normally we'd go out and we'd hear air traffic control talking on, on frequencies and all. Dead silence. The spookiest sound you ever didn't know. hear. Wow. And every so often we'd hear little blips, blips, blip, and it took us a little while to figure it out. It was the fighter pilots talking on their frequency hopping radios and skipping across our frequency. Mm. And so I was like, oh, pilot wow. weather, we do wow. have all our identification friend and phone codes. Because <laughs> we're flying down at 5,000 feet off of Tampa, uh, home of Central Commander. And I didn't want some fighter pilot shooting first and asking questions yeah. later. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So in the meantime, we go out there to fly. And it, this storm, this was Tropical Storm Gabrielle. It was trying to become a hurricane. Ran out of time, as it turned out, but we went in and at 5,000, and we just got beat to hell. Lost a couple of thousand feet, and then rocketed up another couple of thousand, so you see the G-meter pegged to two or three Gs, and then go negative one. The plane was shaking so violently, I could not read my instruments for about 30 seconds. Wow. Were you scared? And then, you know, people always ask me, was I scared uh, at any time when I'm flying? And I can honestly say that and maybe this is because I was too dumb to be scared, <laughs> but I was always so focused on doing my job that I didn't have time to be either sick or scared. Yeah. Because, you know, the U.S. taxpayer was literally paying hundreds of thousands of dollars for, to put me out in that storm to do my job. Yeah. I didn't have time to screw it up. I had to, <laughs> I had to do that. Well, thank you. That's that military. I'm geeking out right now. <laughs> so, hey, can we can we use Harvey as an example? Uh, Warren, at what point are they deciding that okay, it's it's developing enough that we want to investigate it? You know, and and if you take Harvey as the example and and where it's gone and come, I guess what was the decision process here as that's been moving? Okay. All right. Well, this actually goes back a ways now because remember, Harvey originated as a system coming off of Africa a couple of weeks ago now. And then as it's coming across the Atlantic, of course, the forecasters are looking at the computer models and the satellite pictures and all. And uh, the area of responsibility for the hurricane hunters is roughly from about a couple hundred miles east of the Leeward and Windward Islands all the way west to Hawaii. So our main bases, the Air Force Squadron is based in, in Mississippi, the um, NOAA Squadron is based at Lakeland, Florida, and we have a forward operating location at St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, and so in this case, uh, a couple of weeks ago when the system was coming across, uh, at one point we went in the morning, we went across to the forecasters and say, what do you need? And they said, well, we think this is going to, it looks like this is going to try to develop and we want to make sure that we warn the islands in time. So they told us to get some planes down to St. Croix to be able to fly into it. So we got them down there and then they decided, yes, the it looked like it was going to develop and would be a threat to the islands. So we flew a couple of missions as it was approaching and went through the Leeward Islands. It got into the Eastern Caribbean and fell apart. So at that point, they discontinued advisories and we stopped flying it. And then as it, but of course they kept watching. So as it crept closer and closer to uh, uh, Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua, uh, it started getting a little more iffy again as whether it was trying to redevelop. So at some point they decided, okay, we've got to start flying this again. So at that point we started flying it out of Mississippi. And then we took a break again when it crossed over the Yucatan. 
And then again, when the models were showing it could redevelop as it came off the Yucatan, as these storms often do in the Bay of Campeche, we put another mission on. And so that's when we started flying it again. Mm-hmm. And so now, uh, you know, we've been going ahead and we've been throwing all of our assets at it. We've had, um, uh, you know, our, our WCs have been in it, the P3s have been in it, the G4s have been flying around it. We also have a Global Hawk uh, that is a collaborative effort, research effort between NASA and uh, NOAA that has been flying uh, over on top of it a couple of, uh, at least once already. I think they're doing it again tomorrow where they'll fly this big long uh, lawnmower pattern up at 65,000 feet or so over the top of the storm, uh, dropping a lot of sons out to try and get more information about what what's going on in the storm and around it. So a lot of a, a lot of work goes into getting these things. But as you can see, you know, when it's out over the open water, it used to be back in the old days, all you would have is ship reports and you know very little real information about it. So now we have a lot more information about it, and so hopefully. If the end product is, it's been shown that our data improves forecasts by about 25%. Wow. So whereas before forecasters might have to put out warnings, you know, uh, 200 miles wide, now they might be able to narrow it down to 150, 125 miles because it helps, you know, both in terms of the direction, the, the path forecast and the intensity forecast. And so, you know, the end goal, of course, is all about protecting people. Uh, if our data helps improve the forecast, that means the forecasts are better, which means the evacuation orders are more tailored, which hopefully, hopefully means that people will pay attention when the emergency mm-hmm. managers say, get out. You know, because yeah. we all know the story of the boy who cried wolf. What yeah. we never want to have happen is somebody sitting on a house two blocks from the beach, looking out at the ocean storm surge creeping in and saying, I should have listened. I should have gotten out. And now it's too late. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. why we put ourselves out there. You know. We do everything we can to minimize the risk. We haven't lost a plane since 74. Hope to never lose one again. But there's always going to be some risk there. And we do it because it helps hopefully protect people and make them take these forecasts seriously and get out when they need to. Good. So how? I, I, let's do this um, just to, uh, on a time sake, and we know you need to get going mm-hmm. here eventually as well, Warren. How can listeners follow you and your team on the web and on social media? Well, the the main site, of course, is the National Hurricane Center site, and and they do an excellent job of getting their products out. Uh, they have, uh, in, in addition to the actual site, they have RSS feeds if, if you want to follow it that way. Uh, they also are now doing podcasts. You know, after every advisory, there there's a podcast you can subscribe to that will talk about uh, what they're finding in the storm. As far as the um, uh, recon data specifically. I'm still working on improving, uh, you know, it is available on the Hurricane Hunter site, but it's uh, rather the the Hurricane Center site, but it's not as uh, well organized as I would like. So I'm actually, again, the whole computer science meteorology thing, I'm actually (laughs) diving in now and trying to write some programs to make it more accessible and and more easy to to find on the Hurricane Center site. Uh, I don't know if I'll get to it finished this year because obviously kind of busy right now, but that is a long-term goal. And then, of course, on Twitter, uh, the, the Hurricane Center has multiple feeds. And then there's also uh, the uh, there's different there's other Twitter feeds for the 53rd Weather Recon Squadron and also the NOAA Hurricane Hunters that you can follow. And they, they post some really nice uh, snapshots and videos. Like there was a great video this morning that came out of the NOAA uh, plane that was out. I mentioned earlier the tail Doppler radar. It showed 
the, the loop of the, the plane flying through Harvey all overnight and seeing how that eye coalesced and was drifting northwest. And you could, it just really impressive. So uh, there is a lot of stuff out there. Uh, you have to go looking for it a little bit, but uh, it can. And then what, what, what about you personally? Uh, personally, uh, I just started up uh, a, uh, a Twitter uh, for, all right. hey, for, my, for myself, uh, Warren Madden WX. And so I'm, uh, you know, still getting the feel for it, but in, in all likelihood, it's going to pretty much just be about meteorology. And, yeah. uh, you know, I obviously, as a government employee, I can't, you know, there are limits to what I can do, and, <laughs> including, you know, I can't, I can't give, I can't scoop, uh, you know, the information before it comes out. But uh, I certainly will do my best to point out things that I see and maybe give tidbits of behind-the-scenes information when I can about what uh, you know what goes into producing the recon and how that plays into the actual forecast process. Cool, cool. cool. Warren, Warren, get a Snapchat, Warren. Get a Snapchat. <laughs> I haven't gone that Press far. I'm getting. I'm getting to that age where. Oh, there's technology. Is she getting just so <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got plenty of time. All right, all right, all right. Hey, it's time for our lightning round, our speed round of fun questions for our guests. Uh, and, and Warren's already mentioned this, but I had found this out previously that he is a uh, fan of uh, uh, Worlds of War. War what? World of wow. Warcraft. Yeah, World of Warcraft. Yeah, I totally blew it. Sorry, Worlds of Warcraft. Wow. Wow. So anyway, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little, okay. our version of Hollywood Squares. So we have our celebrity panel of, of uh, our freaks. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask them a question and they're going to answer it. And then Warren, you just have to agree or disagree with their answer. Or right? laugh at us, whichever. Right. right. <laughs> all have to do is uh, World of Warcraft. So here's the first question. I, I'm going to go to uh, Brady. Oh, dangerous. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to do this. Warren, I'll let you pick. So you got Brady, Maz, MJ, and Kim. <laughs> I've played well. Uh, don't, don't pick me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, I, I'm, Kim, I'm going to get, I, I know that you're going to hate me for this, but I'm going to at least get you out of the way here so you can breathe easy after you <laughs> hear right. your, your questions. Okay. Okay. First. Okay. Easy okay. One. Okay. All right, Kim, okay. you ready? Yes, I'm ready. An elf, an elf. <laughs> Is just short for a night elf. True or false? I'm going to say true. Warren, and says true. I will. I will agree with that. And circle gets. Very good, Kim. Very good. All right, Warren. You got Brady, MJ, and Maz. Let's go with Maz. All right. All right, Maz. It gets what harder, right, of... as we go. <laughs> it does. I actually gave Kim oh an easy one. I'd like to say night uh... elf. It's night elf, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of fictional characters populate the town of Booty Bay? <laughs> <laughs> well, really? <laughs> really? Come on, Maz. This is easy. What, there's no multiple choice on this one? No, no. What, what, kind of fic, what kind of fictional characters populate the town of Booty Bay? That would be the Booty Bay Hunters. Oh, my God. Booty Bay Hunters. We're done. We're done. All right. Warren? I will disagree. The answer is goblins. Mm, well, yeah. that, that That's my man. No. I, I, had here, I had both goblins or pirates would qualify. True, uh, true, yes. Okay. 
All right, so uh, circle gets that square. Go ahead, uh, Warren. You got MJ and Brady. Brady. All righty. I've played well before, so get ready. <laughs> Here we go. What what kind of character is otherwise known as Shammy? Oh God. Um. Mm. Is it wait like what uh, what race? Uh, I don't know that it's a race as much as it's <laughs> oh. a. Uh, a, like a position or a <laughs> title. Uh, <laughs> is it an orc? An orc. I guess I, I, didn't, under, I didn't understand. I've, got, I've, I've got it. Okay, so it says orc. So Warren, agree or disagree? I will disagree. A chamois is short for shaman. My first oh. character in WoW. <laughs> you are correct. All right. So Circle gets that square. That'd be a tic-tac-toe, but I'll let you do one more. MJ, this oh, is for good. you. Here we go. Finish it off. Right. What what is a man cow? <laughs> what is a man cow? Wow. Thank you. Uh, um, uh, a keep it clean. <laughs> a giant. I don't know. A giant. A giant. A, giant. <laughs> a man cow is a giant. Do you agree or disagree, Warren? In a sense, he is not completely wrong, but a man-cow is actually a tauren, a race of the horde that are basically, uh, you know, cows that are, you know, are able to be one of the main characters. I have several characters who are, who are, who are, who are tauren. Well, you, you're they're actually based on, yes. you're they're based on the American Indian mythos. The circle so, uh, gets the square, so you are four for four. Great wow. job. Wow. Uh, wow. Great, great job. Wow, so, really? <laughs> so anyway, so th thanks for following along and having fun, Warren. Hey, weatherproshop.com. Hey, these, these guys are the only source for high-quality Skywarn weather spotter merchandise and reference tools. You got to check out their embroidered T-shirts, polos, and caps uh, for both men and women. They got some uh, great embroidered Skywarn gear. Uh, Jim Cantori loved his, by the way. They also carry great laminated reference guides for spotters and chasers, including their new dual-pole radar training pack. Uh, and don't forget, new customers setting up an account, they're going to receive a 5% discount off their order. And for a limited time, Stormfront Freaks podcast listeners, you'll get an additional 5% off at checkout when you enter the code STORM, S-T-O-R-M. So all kinds of reasons why you should visit and support our partner, weatherproshop.com. So we're going to take a short break. Our podcast listeners will hear the latest edition of the Titans U Minute with Chris Sanner. But stay right here. We'll be back with Warren and the Freaks to discuss how prepared our coastal cities are for hurricane evacuations. And now it's time for the Titan U Minute with Chris Sanner. Zap, boom, kapow. Those sounds are either a Batman comic coming to life, or it's the universal signal for a quick primer on how to shoot lightning photos. I will be honest, lightning is definitely one of my favorite photography subjects when it comes to storms. This time of year, when the storm bases are higher due to higher temperature and dew point depressions, well, that's prime time lightning photography season. Here's three tips to make sure you get the shot. First, make sure your settings are dialed in correctly. I try to close my aperture down to at least f7.1 and my shutter is somewhere in the one to four second range. I've found any longer on the shutter results in a loss of detail with your clouds. 
your mileage may vary, but that's what I stick to. Second, of course this goes without saying, have a sturdy tripod and a good view of the storm. Your camera has to be steady and you should have as unobstructed of a view of the storm as possible to get the most bolts. Don't try to shoot lightning through trees, it just doesn't work, alright? Lastly, I like to use an intervalometer to capture lightning. This handy tool is sometimes built into a camera. What it does is it fires your camera shutter at a predetermined interval. This is perfect for lightning. My camera is usually set to a shutter of 1.6 seconds while taking a photo every 2 seconds. Sure, you may miss a bolt or two, but you'll get a bolt or three. To get more severe weather photography tips, as well as safety tips, visit TitanU on TornadoTitans.com. Also, find us on social media. Simply search Tornado Titans. We'll see you next time. Welcome back. Hey, so let's discuss whose idea it was to come up with naming tropical storms. Um, was it Warren's? <laughs> wow can't take credit on that one no, I, i'm kidding that's not our discussion i thought that'd be funny though because of all the complaints <laughs> of people yeah bitching about naming winter storms at some point someone had to come up with naming tropical storms and and they did and it was women's did names. Do that? 100 years down the road are going to really like so uh, i could actually storm. talk about it but i know that's not uh -huh. the topic for today <laughs> <laughs> well anyway so what anyway what we wanted to talk about with tropical storm activity really flourishing right now in both the Atlantic and the Pacific this year. We wanted to discuss the hurricane evacuation implications faced by a lot of coastal cities. And uh, certainly with Harvey right now, we're, we're dealing with that in Texas. But one of the articles I wanted to bring up, which is a little fitting, was uh, 12 years ago, uh, there was good old Hurricane Rita mm -hmm. happened um, right, right after Katrina. And it was, uh, this was an article from uh, crone.com. Matt Levin was, was discussing this. He said it was the worst traffic jam in Houston history. Uh, for some, the gridlock wouldn't end until 24 hours later. And I want to share some of the stats with you guys of what happened. So two and a half million people hit the road ahead of the storm's arrival. And what, this, what happened was more than 100 evacuees died in the exodus. Drivers waited in traffic for 20 plus hours and heat stroke impaired or killed dozens of people so where are we at with hurricane evacuations and have we gotten any better over the years what's going on with that what do you guys think well how much notice they get is big right i mean that's that's huge yeah yeah but you know what uh, my pastor was down where was he in florida some i forgot exactly when he was telling me he was down visiting and um they started issue, issuing tropical storm warnings, hurricane warnings. And I think it was like a level one or category one. And he asked his neighbors, what are you guys going to do? And they're like, Oh, we're going to stay no big deal. And then he asked the neighbor on the other side, what are you going to do? Yeah, it shouldn't be a big deal. We're all going to be okay. So their family went down to the beach. When they came back from the beach, everyone had almost finished loading up their cars to leave. And he's like, where are y'all going? You know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think it's one of those things where who, who takes how how well you take it seriously sometimes depends on how well other people take it seriously especially if you're not from the area and you don't really know who to go by yeah maz and also i think um i think it you know it's have you ever experienced a storm like that before and that's why i think the hurricane drought in the united states is so dangerous because people that have never been in a storm like this um 
you know, they don't, they won't take it as seriously as people that have. So, you know, I think that has a big part of, you know, the evacuation plan is, you know, some people might wait to the last minute because they're thinking they're going to tough it out until they get a mandatory evacuation. But by then, everyone's doing the same thing and, and you know, the roadways get clogged. So I think people need to be much more proactive than, you know, than they are. I'm, I'm going to jump in and say we got a couple of our uh, uh, live viewers um, chatting and one of them's in San Antonio and says they've already received a lot of uh, Corpus Christi evacuees. And they've got uh, an evacuation center set up at the AT&T Center. And then another of our viewers is in the Fort Worth area and said they're flying in newborns with health issues uh, oh, from wow. Corpus as well. So I guess there's some hope that uh, that some folks are heeding the warnings, for, for at least for this one. Yeah. yeah. So Warren, what well, do you part, think? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, the point is well taken that uh, people who don't have a lot of experience with storms, uh, they don't know what to do. And, and that's one of the things we've seen during the past hurricane drought. And really over the last 20 years, so many more people have moved into coastal areas that are at risk from hurricanes and they don't know, they don't have any experience. And so, the, yeah, they'll talk to neighbors and stuff, but uh, still it's, it's just a, a sheer logistics nightmare and trying to get so many people out on a limited number of roads going out. And then even if you have been through a strong hurricane, sometimes that can, in some senses, work to be a detriment because I've heard stories of people who, like on the Mississippi coast, who survived Camille back in 69. And they couldn't conceive of a worse storm than Camille. And, oh, you know, so here comes Katrina. And they're thinking, okay, well, this place that I want to stay survived Camille, so it's going to be safe for Katrina because Camille was the worst case. In one case, I know of a guy who, thought like that and spent most of Katrina in a tree oh, with the floodwaters all around him. He survived, but still, you know, and, and you know, we, we saw what happened with, with Jim Cantori at the, the veterans home there. I know where that is. I've driven by that many times. Is that just a few miles West of, of Keesler? Yeah. And uh, you know, just thinking about it, it's, it's one thing to think, okay, I survived this storm before here comes another one. Well, oh, that's not as bad. I don't need to worry about that, but each storm is individual and you have to take them seriously and, and hopefully people will. I mean, we're getting better with social media and stuff and getting the message out. But in the end, there is that inertia of people saying, well, you know, and that kind of blindside into saying, it's really not going to be that bad, is it? You know, and again, like well, I said that's, earlier. That's part, part of the downfall, as Brady, as Brady was talking about, um, people that haven't lived through it and maybe aren't evacuating, part of the problem with Rita was because so many people had seen Katrina just mm -hmm. right before and had seen the devastation, there were far more people that were now getting out, taking it seriously, and maybe even people that, that didn't need to evacuate were getting mm -hmm. on the roads and, and getting out, and that caused, so the, the other scenario is too, too many people are leaving all at once. Right. Yeah. Another thing, too, is if you think about it, you know, over the last, you know, 40 years or so, the number of people that own cars has risen significantly mm -hmm. and suburbanization all around the coastal areas. But the number of roads, especially the main roads and the highways, has not increased proportionately. So now you've got, you know, so many more people with cars trying to get out, but the number of roads still about the same. So I don't know how, how it could get better. I bicycles, think, bicycles, that's yeah. the answer. Right. Or, or I think, you know, as many people that can have 
a you know supplies and things already packed so that as soon as they get the order even beforehand they can leave before things start getting clogged and congested i think that's going to help you know if people can be proactive at least some people they can be proactive about it so it gives them enough time but you know, right. there's not much you can do. You know, you can't just have, a, you know, hurricane designated roads that are only to be used in mm-hmm. the case of a hurricane. You know, right. It's just not going to, you know, you're not going to build roads just for a hurricane. That's, you know. Well, it's always been a problem too that a lot of people think they have to travel 100 miles, 200 miles inland, you know, where they don't, sometimes they don't need to travel that far just to get away from the surge or whatever they're trying to get away from. And I think that's a problem too. You've got a lot of people that don't even need to evacuate and they just get freaked out and they try to, and that just really hurts the efforts of those who really need to get out. Well, yeah. and this time too, cause it's supposed to be like 30 inches of rain possible. Where do you go? Yeah. 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 Dallas maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And the key is you can't plan for every single scenario no. either. And every, right. you know, every city is different. We were talking about this at the break is you know evacuation plans and routes are are all dictated through the cities and the counties and and then even the state but there's really no federal real level federal level plan involved there and so you have to get from each of these cities and counties to have all a bunch of different scenarios and and have it all laid out and if there's a certain city or if there's a certain county where maybe it's that emergency manager or that department or maybe they don't have the funds and they just they they can't put in the resources to plan pre-plan this kind of stuff right. that community or that county might have not have as good of an evacuation plan as others now don't they time it Warren? don't they time it too like diff, like certain counties leave at this time didn't they i feel like well, they've done that before i i know that they they have their estimates of how long it will take, you know, theoretically to evacuate, like take for example, the, the prototypical case, the Keys. How long will it take to get people out from Key West and Marathon up Route 1, up that single, you know, highway back up through uh, through Homestead and North? Uh, and so, you know, that also plays into, you know, how much time the forecasters try to give these communities when a storm is approaching. Right. You know, that, you know, as far as when put the watches out and then I, I mean, I work across the hall from there's actually is a FEMA office located within the hurricane center, a coordination office. And right now there's more people flowing in. Uh, there's a lot of coordination that happens uh, on the phone with, with people in there trying to get the information to flow down. And we try to give people as much warning as possible. But of course, sometimes storms will change course or weaken or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's always that balancing act. You don't want to make people afraid unnecessarily, but at the same time, you want to make sure that when you need to, them to pay attention and take action, they do do it. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a balancing act and we're always trying to find better ways. That's one of the things that the Hurricane Center does during the off season is there's an inordinate, inordinate number of conferences and stuff that the people attend to try and f- figure out how best to communicate the messages so that people will take action when they need to. Yeah. Don't, like local emergency managers, don't they sometimes time it to where they tell, you know, this part of the city evacuate between this hour and this hour just to help with the flow a little bit? I've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of that. I don't know yeah. if they all do, but I have heard. Okay. Because that's have, something I, I think would be helpful. Yeah, but, yeah. but yeah. One, I think you hit the nail on the head because 
you know, we could have told people in, you know, along the coast of Southeast Texas to evacuate a week ago, but, you know, just in case, you know, something might've happened. But like you said, it, you know, in the, that would do us no good in the future. Say this, you know, if this were a bust, you'd have another storm that would be the exact same that would rapidly intensify and no one would take you seriously. So I think that's part of the problem is that we can't give people as, you know, as much of a warning as, you know, a big people in a big city might need because of future situations. So well, and Warren, Warren talked about timing, you know, timing the exodus. And there was an article in the Tampa Bay Times by Caitlin Johnston um, just back in May. And it was mentioned that in Tampa Bay being in a city that hasn't, you know, seen a direct strike for nearly 100 years. And they were talking about how it's, it's already a, a traffic issue in Tampa Bay <laughs> when there's no hurricane. And they said in, I don't know if this, Pinellas County? Pinellas. Um, mm -hmm. Pinellas. Pinellas County. Mm -hmm. A level D evacuation gives 585,000 people, which is half the county's population, 36 hours to crawl across the Courtney Campbell Causeway, Howard Franklin, and Gandy Bridges. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Half a million, a over half a million people, 36 hours to get across three bridges. And nobody gets a flat, right? Yeah, right. right. No one or overheats yeah. or runs out of gas. Right. Oh, gosh. So I'll say this because Kimmy brought up a good thing because part of the other thing in the article, there were, there were three tips that I thought sounded great. Um, we're already in evacuation with, with Harvey, but th three of the tips, one of them you brought up, which is um, have a plan and know where to go because not everyone has to drive 100 miles in an evacuation. Sometimes 10 miles is good enough. Yeah. So kind of know where you can go, have a plan. And, and it doesn't always require that you have to go across the state to do it. The, okay. the second tip um, is don't have to. So if, if you're not to evacuate or if you know you're not in an area that's being warned, don't feel like you have to go because you're potentially just clogging up the roads as well. And you might be safe where you're at. Um, let the experts kind of help dictate that. At least that will help. Some people will still make that decision and that's understandable. The third thing they said is uh, know where, what evacuation zone you live in. And I know that's been a discussion in the past as well as just people not knowing. We talked with Dr. Laura Myers about this, just not knowing where they live when they look at a map. Yeah. Um, and you kind of need to know where you live when you look at a map, a county map, a city map, a state map, so you know if you are in an area that needs to go. Right, yeah, so I guess they do warn by zones, like evacuate by zones, so yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think maybe that's where our social media and our technology is probably gonna help people out a little bit more now mm -hmm. than it did from decades ago, because now you can pull up maps and things like that of what zone I'm in as opposed to I got to turn into channel whatever to, to see what's going on and yeah you should care about misinformation though too because you know someone might post you know I just saw someone post on Twitter oh it looks like Hurricane Harvey's going to be you know cat one or tropical storm looks right. like you know a new model just came in so you got to watch stuff like that too on Twitter because the misinformation is or station apps you know whatever yeah. so they could mm -hmm. get the information yeah. out what about exactly. reverse 911, you know, or something like that, where, you know, there's just a phone call that comes to your cell phone or a text message that says, uh, where you, because they know, because if they know where you live, they could actually send a message that says you have to evacuate. I don't know if that's even 
Is that is that one one six? Is that one one nine? What what's? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think it's like you. Know, it's like they all of a sudden. I I I X. Are you being? They know where you They 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 emergency center calls you and tells you or sends you a text message and says, hey, you you know, because they know where you live and know your address, and they say, well, okay, you live here now, you need to evacuate. Or you know what I mean, just in that yeah, way. It's right. phone spam, but for a good reason. Yeah, for good yeah. reason. But I can see how that could be helpful to people. You know that sure. that aren't aware, get a message, get an alert on their phone. Right. Well, we're we're gonna go ahead. I, I know Warren's got a date with Harvey, so we're uh, <laughs> we're gonna take we're gonna take our final break so listeners can hear the swan song, the final farewell. The singing fat lady. It's the final edition of Brady Storm School. Oh, wow. fat lady! Come yeah, on. It, it, it ends <laughs> with a twist. Oh. It, it ends with a little twist. So you got. So if you're watching us, you got to listen to our podcast. You the have to. twist at the final edition of Brady Storm School. Um, he, he's he's not in school anymore. That's why he's not. That's why we're not going to have him do it. But anyway, the rest to you. Go, go ahead and refill your drinks. When we come back, it's time for Weather Fools. And we've got some great WX resources for you. This is Storm School, where together we'll take an in-depth look into certain weather phenomenon, why they happen, where they happen, what causes them. Some topics we'll cover will things you might have never heard before or things you've heard a lot. Welcome to Storm School. Class yeah. is in session. Hello once again guys, I'm Brady, and on this week's episode of Storm School, I'm going to talk about wind. Um, you know, a lot of people um, don't necessarily know what causes wind. I was just talking about my brother about this the other day. Um, it's actually a very, very simple process. Um, in this Storm School, I'm going to talk about what causes wind, um, the differences in the units, because that can get kind of confusing, um, confusing, and exactly what, you know, what does wind impact on our planet? Um, the answer you know, it was everything, but I'll get to that. So first of all, what causes wind? So to start off, I'll define, so there's high and low pressure. Um, a lot of you've probably heard of those systems, you know, a low pressure system is gonna come, that's gonna bring some storms or some rain. Um, basically, a high pressure system is an area um, where there is higher pressure towards the surface of the earth. And what that means is high pressure means there's more particles in the air um, that are around causing there to be more pressure. Pressure is just a measure of the amount of particles in the air. Um, and a low pressure is the opposite. It's an area where near the surface, well, either whether it's a surface or a um, upper atmospheric high pressure or low pressure, that is a different story. But a surface low pressure is an area near the surface of the earth that has a lower pressure, so there's less particles near the surface. Um, and particles, you know, can be anything from gases, you know, oxygen, nitrogen, um, you know, they can be pollution, they can be carbon dioxide, all of these things are particles that comprise of the atmosphere as well as, you know, the air around us. Um, so how does that relate to wind? So wind is caused from air moving from high pressure to lower pressure. Now think about two cups. Think about a, um, a tube connecting both cups. One cup is full of water, the other cup has no water in it. And the tube is towards the bottom of the first cup, the cup filled with water. Now there is something separating, like the water cannot flow through that tube yet. Um, but as soon as you release that barrier, that barrier, you know, the hole um, in the cup, 
as soon as you poke a hole in the cup and, and the water's allowed to flow through that tube, water will flow through that tube until the water levels on both sides are equal. Um, and the reason for that is that things naturally move from higher pressure to lower pressure. Things, you know, it's, it's, it's a vacuum that needs to be filled and particles will fill that vacuum. So that's all wind is. It's, wind, it's air particles, you know, gases in the air that are moving to fill a vacuum, you know, or, a, or an area of space, you know, around us in the air that has less particles than the other. That's all wind is. Um, you know, if you think about the atmosphere, you know, if you think about the air around you as literally little tiny particles that are constantly colliding with you and constantly moving, that is exactly what wind does. It moves those tiny particles to an area with less tiny particles, um, and it does that through colliding with other particles throughout the air. Um, so how is wind measured? Basically, there's miles. Per, the main three units are really are miles per hour. There's knots. There's kilometers per hour. Um, in the United States, the United Kingdom, we primarily use miles per hour, although most of the rest of the world uses either kilometers per hour or knots. Knots is usually used um, for marine weather and, and um, when you're out over the oceans. Um, and then kilometers per hour is used pretty much you know, all across Europe. Uh, mile per hour is equal to 0.86 knots, and one mile per hour is equal to 1.609 kilometers per hour. Um, so there's some unit conversions for that. Um, so a couple of facts about wind. Um, so if you ever hear people say, you know, an easterly wind, wind is measured, in, at least in the meteorological community, out of the direction it's coming from. Easterly wind means wind is coming from the east. It's not where it's going to. It's not, you know, it's not where it's blowing to, so it wouldn't be west. But when people say an easterly or westerly or northerly wind, that's the direction it's coming from. Um, another fact is wind drives the ocean currents. A lot of people don't realize, especially the surface ocean currents, um, wind has a very strong part in that. Think about when you're at the beach and wind's blowing off the ocean and the current is, you know, the waves are crashing in. The way, you know, wind isn't a number, you know, the only cause of waves, but it, it sure does help drive those currents along the shore. Um, so yeah, that's that's wind for you, and, and uh, I'll wrap it up here. Hopefully you guys learned something, and let's get back to the podcast. All right, welcome back. Hey, we've been talking while y'all been gone. We've been having fun, but it's time oh, yeah. now for weather resources. We got a couple of them for tonight. I'm still curious to see what Kim's gonna do, but it probably won't be for resources. So Brady, you better start us off. What do you got? All right, so this is on topic. Uh, we have Hurricane Harvey Wright that's ongoing. Uh, and so a lot of you, you know, people are trying to, a lot of you weather geeks are probably trying to find what's the best place to find some satellite imagery of the hurricane. Um, and here I have, uh, is this working? In my screen, wait. I just have an infinity screen. Don't you dare make fun of me. Okay, can you guys see my screen, right? There yeah. you go. Okay, cool. So this is a satellite <laughs> imagery. Yeah, <laughs> this is a this is a satellite imagery page. Um, it's a little confusing at first, but if you can tell, like here's a single image, here's an HTML loop, here's a flash image loop, an animated GIF loop, you know, a visible shortwave infrared water vapor imagery, um, and then here's like a long wave uh, infrared channel enhancements. Um, my favorite. So here's the visible. Let's take a look at that one. This is Hurricane Harvey. This is centered at Hurricane Harvey's. How cool is that? They literally have a satellite that they centered on. A hurricane you can see this is the past couple hours of imagery 
Um, and then once you, you know, if you want to go and check out the satellite imagery at night, let's take a look at the shortwave radio uh, IR. Um, and then there's Hurricane Harvey. So, and it's becoming visible because it's becoming nighttime. So, um, this is, you know, just a really cool place um, to go take a look at, you know, satellite imagery of hurricanes, of really anything. Um, but usually they concentrate on hurricanes. And that's uh, from a NOAA site. Just type in like SSD NOAA uh, weather satellite. Um, I'll have the uh, URL of the homepage, which is actually the Caribbean imagery. Um, site, or at least that's one part of their site as well. So, how many yeah. different channels do they have now from satellites? Yeah, they, they have. A, I mean, oh, they have a bunch. And, I mean, look at all these different filters too. Like my favorite is the rainbow filter, um, where it actually you know it adds basically different color schemes to allow you to kind of visualize the hurricane um, better. So that's it's pretty cool. Nice. I like the HBO one. Yeah. <laughs> <that's nice>. Same. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I get better reception oh. too. All right, Phil, what do you got? All right. So my WX resource is uh, a great storm chasing resource. It's uh, the storm chasing handbook. It's by Tim Vasquez. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can't get it new on paperback, but you still can get it Kindle for uh, $9.99. This is by far the best storm chasing resource I've come across and I've read a couple books and uh, it is very in-depth, great forecasting education, very educational. It's slightly, I think this is the second edition, it's, but, but it's, it's a little outdated with some of the information, but it's really not important information. It's like area restaurants, you know, and stuff like that if you happen to be in, in the plains. But the forecasting information and how to storm chase and what to look for, uh, all that kind of stuff is is on the T all the time. Love it. Looks great. Did you read the first version? Uh, no, that, that was the version that I got. Okay. Yeah. So how much better is the second than the first? Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, just go off of stars. <laughs> got five stars. For <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> hey, mistake Phil. <laughs> if you want more information check out stormfrontfreaks.com and look for episode 34 show notes for links brady cool. all right guys it's time for the weather fools now i know a lot of you are like okay here comes brady again with some stupid weather fools but yeah, guess exactly. what i, I love it and everyone else loves it so you can just deal with it <laughs> that's right <for> <laughs> This is the Weather Fools, where we talk about, we look at the past week to two weeks, uh, we look at images, we look at videos, things that'll make you laugh when it comes to weather-related topics. Cartoons. Usually, <laughs> cartoons, yes, we got some cartoons this week, right, Nina? Tell us, what's your Weather Fool this Who? week? Who? Who? Or, <laughs> Kim. Sorry. <laughs> he, he did finish his grape juice. He did. He did. Grape hey, juice. you know what, Dina, that was for you. That was a tribute to you. Kim, go ahead. Okay. All right. So let me make sure I do this correctly here. Let's see. All right. There we go. You see it? <laughs> see it. Lovely. Yes. Okay. So we have, now this was in honor of the heat wave from two weeks ago when I really had this ready for us, but we didn't get to it. All right. So we have a snowman in at the beach, drinking a drink, got the hat on and his wife is trying to put sunscreen on him and notice it mm. says SPF one 
billion. I <laughs> that was hilarious. And so is the snowman is the snowman your weather fool in this case? That is my weather fool right there. <laughs> the snowman okay, is the weather one. fool. It shouldn't go out one. in the sun if you're a snowman. Now here's proof of global warming. If you want to know that. my teal G-string doing on the... Oh, Phil, no. <laughs> oh, I did not want to see you wearing that. Oh, God. So this is what are we looking at? Anybody that's trying to, you know, disprove it or you know, want to prove it, this is the image I think that will <laughs> So back in 1720, you had the bloomers. This is actually proving global warming by underwear. Wow. That's incredible. Right. That underwear. Is so incredible. bloomers in 1720 by, you know, we have more of the boycott by 1970. And then we get to, well, we get to the thong by 20, yeah. 2006. Uh -huh. And so that's proof right there. Okay. Mm -hmm. so that's People got to go look at the show notes to see these. these. It's great. What does 2006 <laughs> even cover? I, what yeah. is that? Uh -oh. It's a European cut. Yes. It's a European cut. Right. North America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so and I think my other one went away, darn it. Let me see. Oh, shoot, it did. I don't know where it oh, went. Ooh, bacon, it says bacon. I it know, I think bacon. you guys would really like that one, but okay. Just visualize right. a piece of it. All right, so, uh, yeah. weather fool, Phil, you weather fool, right? Uh, I, I, do, I do have a weather fool to share with you. This is, um, you guys might remember a little hurricane, Matthew, uh, that went through uh, about 10 months ago, and this was an article that talked about Hilton Head received its first FEMA reimbursement check 10 months later, 10 months after the hurricane came through. And listen to this. Oh, so this no. is Hilton Head spent $46 million to just fix fix up their town. They, they had $26 million in reserves, and they spent all of it. They had to borrow $20 million in loans. And they finally, 10 months later, they just get their first check from FEMA for $1.3 million Ouch. Of, of the 36 that they're eligible for repayment. Oh. So my, my weather fool is just, you know, if, obviously FEMA does some great things, but it's just gov it's government and how slow it can be yeah. when, when, you know, if, if you're a town or a city or even a home, personal individual, and you have to, and you don't have money to spend to fix and then you have to wait this long to get all the paperwork done and everything submitted and everything approved. And finally, I get my first check and it covers like, you know, like a, a not even a tenth. A of toilet. A toilet. Yeah. yeah. A toilet free yeah. That is an yeah. installment. Right? It's crazy. It is crazy. Is that an yeah, installment? It better be. Yeah. That's so sad. That's terrible. Hmm. All right, yeah, Phil. That was be. great. So. My Weatherful this week, um, some of you may have seen this. Um, so the eclipse that happened on August 21st, um, we have Donald Trump <laughs> going out. You know, look, he's he's you know <laughs> waving hi to the people, taking a look at the tie. And, oh, he looks up. He's like, oh, 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 no. Ah! He looks directly at the eclipse, <laughs> which is a no-no. And eventually he did put on the glasses, but I think he did that a couple more times, actually, in the video. He just oh, stared at the eclipse. And I'm like... Come on, Donald. Just set just set a good, you know, example for the country. Please. Please. Because there's someone watching that, you know, that's in the, in the hills of like West Virginia, just like, well, he did it, so I'm gonna do it. And he's just staring straight up. So I don't see how anybody could even look at it longer Give than some glasses to bear they gave him. Yeah, there you go. yeah, it's like their their poor young son is just sitting there while they're staring at it. Yeah, yeah. 
He's like, what about me, Dad? So you can find all of these uh, videos and images on our uh, Stormfre- stormfrontfreaks.com episode 34 show notes section. See, you've been with us since day one, and, and you still can't pronounce it either. It's oh, hard. I can't. I can't, baby. I can't. It's late. You know, it's we late. We did that for <laughs> purpose. We did that on purpose. All right, so MJ, we have any listener questions and responses? Hey, we do. We got a note from Jennifer Norton um, about a few days ago. Said, uh, hey, just listening to your Gary England podcast. That was episode 32. And they, uh, we'd been talking about some things uh, – going to school and what kinds of things go together with weather. And so she gave some, uh, some pointers that psychology or sociology might be a good minor or concentration with weather. Um, uh, thinking about how do you get the message out and get people to listen, sort of what we were talking about with the yeah. hurricane evacuations. Um, computer user experience uh, and, and computer things like, like Warren actually did. Um, and then uh, uh, learn about drones, learn to pilot a drone. And she gave a couple other uh, suggestions as well and also said yeah. i enjoy your show it makes my commute much more tolerable so there Aww, there we go. Yeah. thank you Jennifer. nice you know we didn't even ask warren what about drones yeah oh wow that's a good point yeah. get him back on the line put him back on show well, the government <laughs> yeah. probably be last with that kind of technology though they'll probably probably you know it's funny i was gonna i was gonna ask i was gonna ask that before we started the show but i thought oh that might be a good question later during the show and but mm-hmm. we didn't have time to get into you it you should have put it in the notes would be a so good question <laughs> yeah so you could have asked it right. yeah. <laughs> all right <laughs> so that about does it for this episode of stormfront freaks podcast and stormfront freaks raw thanks for listening and watching hey please take the time leave us a review and subscribe to the show or send us an email at questions at stormfrontfreaks.com to let us know what your favorite part of the show is for you we'd love to hear about that hey special thanks to our guest warden madden and our next episode in two weeks uh, we're recording live on september 7th and it'll be with meteorologist and creator of oklahoma weather tracker tv william cole so that ought to be interesting to uh, hear his story so go to stormfrontfreaks.com or our youtube channel if you would like to watch it live uh you guys got anything else to close with anybody Last call. All right. So for MJ, Maz, Brady, and Kim, I'm going to signal the all clear and we'll catch you next time. There you go. (laughs) Take 42. Who's stealing my, who's stealing my, my broadband? Put it in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Stormfront Freaks podcast. To subscribe and be notified when new episodes of our bi-weekly show are available, you can go to Apple Podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app and search for Stormfront Freaks. If you would like to contact us with questions or make comments about the show, shoot us an email to questions at stormfrontfreaks.com or follow us on Twitter at Stormfront Freak. We'd love to hear from you. For show notes, additional information about this episode, as well as past and upcoming shows, videos, photos, and more, visit our website at stormfrontfreaks.com. While you're there, check out the interactive radar provided by our friends at zoomradar.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stormfrontfreaks. Join us next time and tell a friend about the Stormfront Freaks podcast.